Yeah. Happy Easter. Are we going to do the stupid he is risen thing? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, that's not stupid. It's a little stupid. It's a little <laughs> stupid. I get it. It's nice. Really? Well, so here's why it's stupid. It's because okay. it's because it it it's a it's a uh, it's a holiday trapping, right? It's like it's like you know how the people get all pissy at when Starbucks doesn't says Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas, oh. right? Like it's become that kind of a cultural trapping, oh. in some ways. And so, like I think as long as it has meaning, that's Keep cool. But it, the moment it stops having meaning, and maybe I'm just, you know, millennial about it, right? Like, it's so passe. But, like, at the same time, if it doesn't have the meaning, it's kind of stupid. You know, like, when, like when someone leads up to you, they go, he is risen, and they look at you like you have to say it back. <laughs> like they're expecting it. Then it's gotten stupid. It's like, <laughs> I put my hand out for the handshake, and you didn't do the handshake back? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, I'm not here to entertain you, man. Right, I'm pretty right. pumped that Jesus is is alive. That's cool. <laughs> I don't I don't need this weird small talk thing because of social awkwardness oh, or whatever yeah. else. Yeah. Right, like it is a little it's small a little talkish. It's a little bit. So I'm sorry. I you know you like the resurrection. I'm getting. I love the resurrection. I love the rest of this story. <laughs> I don't really like any cultural holiday trapping though. Uh, I could be yeah. accused of being a Scrooge. I'm all right with that. I can at agree. least maybe my problem with it is that it actually makes Easter come off a little bit more like Christmas. Because I think in light of Easter, Christmas sucks. Respectfully. <laughs> wait, wait. In light of Easter, Christmas sucks. Like, yeah. you mean... Easter is so much more awesome than Christmas. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we definitely hype up Christmas. Oh, yeah. Right well, I mean, it, it, it's like 20% of retail economy. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I, I made a mention the other... And it allows parents to commodify their love for their children. That's true. <laughs> However, says the two childless guys. From, <laughs> from the four Gospels, only two of them have Christmas stories, but all four of them have Easter stories. Darn right. Which one's more important? It's math. Oh, <laughs> Easter's definitely more important than Christmas. Yeah. So, hold on. Cheers to the Easter episode. Yes. All right. He is risen. <laughs> He's risen indeed. Oh. I feel like I have to. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for not leaving me hanging. So thank you for listening. This is part two. We just did Good Friday, and now this is going to be put up on Easter Sunday, so happy Easter to you. However, we are going to once again... Oh, this is good. Riff with Rife? Oh, don't do that, Don't man. do that. Don't yeah. do that. <laughs> Way too gimmicky. All right. I mean, like, riffing, riffing feels like it's a meaningless exercise. I hope we have some meaning in what we have to say. Or at least content. Well, I actually think sometimes when we get together, it's more hashing out a full idea and trying to find the depth in it. Yeah. Which is very different from just like, yeah. how about them Phillies? It's, well, it's definitely not small talk, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would like to think that this is, you know, some shade of performance art, if you will, because yes. it's live, right? Right. Um, and hopefully theology is still an art form right. to some extent. Um if with, it's done well, it should be. Yeah. yeah. But. So. So it's not riff with rife. Yeah, we won't, we won't do that. It's just this time that John Chafee decided to slum it with his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and bring a Mennonite on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I know the story from Easter that I always 
enjoy, all right? But is there a part of the Easter story from one of the four Gospels that stands out to you, or does it really matter? You were always a much better student than I was. So, like, I I think I like the internalized story probably more in, than I like... Internalized? Well, okay. like, there's a story that, like, if someone woke you up in the middle of the night, smacked you on the forehead, and said, tell me what happened in this story, how you would put it together, that's the internalized story. Uh-huh. Right? So there would be the things that you end up falling on and saying, this is what... You know, this is how it went down. Yeah. And that, that story is probably the most meaningful to me. Maybe that makes me, a, you know, not a very good Bible-believing Christian. I would hope that it's, you know, A, not heretical, B, aligns relatively closely uh, with the biblical text. Sure. And, right. and C, uh, I hope that it still is authentically meaningful to me. Yeah. Right? Like, I hope it's not something that I just, just drilled into me. Like, so yeah. the internalized story is probably what's most important, but let's talk about your thing. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I mentioned it to you before, but on the resurrection day, on Easter day, yep. Mary runs to the gravesite yep. to go see Jesus's tomb and she sees him risen, but she doesn't recognize him. And she says, gardener, what have they done? Yeah. And he's like, Hey, Hi. Hey. Hi. Hey. Hey. Hello. And then she comes back around. But I always like the pun. <laughs> I always like the pun that was she right or wrong to call him the gardener? Because no, he wasn't the gardener. But also, yes, he was the gardener. The gardener of Eden. The gardener of Eden. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with a capital G. Is that that's is that a thing? The gardener. I don't know. Usually when people talk about God in other terms, yeah. they put a capital to it. Oh, yeah. The, Definitely the G. Yeah. 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 Some real pious ones don't even use the O. They just put a dash. The, I'm, not, I'm not pointing any fingers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he was... <laughs> he was the OG. The That's original true. gardener. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's right. terrible. Yep. So, yeah. That is okay. a cool story. But there was another thing that I heard probably within the past year... That when Jesus was resurrected, it says that they went into the tomb and they found the, the linens folded on the corner of the table. Well, at least he makes his bed. What? Yeah. <laughs> but apparently in Middle Eastern culture, uh-huh. uh, if there was a dinner party happening, the dinner host would sometimes get up and go to the bathroom or yeah. go somewhere else. But one of the signals that he was going to be coming back was to fold the napkin and put it on the corner of the table. And so it was kind of a statement of the master has come back. Ah. The linens are folded on the corner of the table. Well, is it like you fold it on the corner of the table instead of putting it on the plate? Because if you put it on the well, plate, you're done, right? That's that's how you signify. That's like an international sign for I'm done with this meal. I don't, I don't remember. It was something, somebody told me that huh. who had a Middle Eastern background, and yeah. I don't remember the specifics. But there would be a difference with whether or not the napkin was crumpled in the middle of the table versus folded off to the side. Gotcha. And folded off to the side meant... It means he was coming back to use it again. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Gotcha. Okay. I believe that. Um, I think... What about Middle Eastern culture? I don't know about the rest of the story. <laughs> right. I think it would be interesting if we couch this one in two parts. All right. So, for instance, we can talk about the historicity, but then go into the meaning of it. Ah, okay. So we can go into, like, the historicity question, but then also we can dive into what does it mean for us that this event happened. Yeah. 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 All right. 
Okay. Historicity. 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 Uh huh. So like you know that Colson Chuck Colson quote that one's pretty popular. No. But it actually drives at it. I mean, so Chuck Colson was uh. He was he was indicted in Watergate. He went to jail for Watergate, right? Wow. And then he did the prison ministry. I think that's who Chuck oh, Colson yeah. is. Yeah. So he was he was in Nixon's White House. Uh huh. And then went to jail for Watergate. And the story, the way that he frames it is, I believe that the res- it's something, you know, this is a paraphrase, the same way I paraphrase the text of my internal stories, right? It's like, uh, he basically says, at Watergate, he's like, I believe in the resurrection because after Watergate, it only took two days without any beating for people to, to crack and give up, give up their secret. Wow. And the, the apostles went through, you know, this, this, and this. Major amounts of persecution. Peter was, you know, crucified upside down in Rome. Yes, um, it's this idea that like, if this was a hoax, the you know the apostles would have probably just been like, look, this was cool for like three weeks, guys. I got to move on. <laughs> <laughs> right. But they took it. They took it not only to the grave, but they took it to the ends of the earth and then to the grave through through great amounts of suffering. Right. Um, which is actually one of the best arguments, I think. It, it's the most compelling. One of the most compelling arguments for me of the historicity yeah, probably, of the resurrection. Yeah, probably for me too. Um, so it's, it's their witness, which is interesting. Well, it's about, in in cool that cider class we went to, I remember I was having a hard, really hard time with faith during that time. Oh. And it's because and my now one, you're a pastor. Pastors don't have hard times with faith, John. Oh, I had more recent <laughs> hard times than that. Uh, what was the comment he made? It was the death was a very concrete event. Okay, and the creed even says it when it says that he was crucified, buried, and dead. It's like dead, dead, dead. Like dude was dead, <laughs> right? Double tapped, triple tapped. <laughs> So there we go. The, the crucifixion was a concrete physical event. Dead. Yeah. It would have taken an equally concrete event of a resurrection, like you said, to spur the disciples on to want to go I to the think, ends of the world. Yeah. Which probably explains why they were freaked out at first. Oh, uh, yeah. Where they're like, what? And he's like, peace be with you. <laughs> peace, chill, shalom, shalom. Yeah. All is good. Y'all fine. Uh, I know you locked the door. I know I showed up behind it, but chill. Chill. Do you think you used his God voice? <laughs> or, or I've never thought like, of that. Do you think you used his human voice? Like, was he just like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> or was he like, Peace be with you. And you're like, done. Whatever you say, man. <laughs> Whatever you say. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Probably doesn't matter. All right. It may not. Yeah. yeah. Just trying to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> so I always like that. At least that helped me at that season when I thought like, okay, it would have taken an equally concrete event of a resurrection. Mm-hmm. as a concrete event as the crucifixion to make the disciples reorient their entire lives and come back to the cause. Because mm-hmm. they also abandoned the cause on Good Friday. None of them stood by his side. Yeah. So they all abandoned him. Even on Saturday, they did start to go ask some questions about the tomb on Sunday. But that's another beautiful thing, is that 
the Gospels have women being the first pastors and evangelists. The women are the first ones that go and tell the men yeah. about the faith. The first evangelists, not pastors. Women can't be pastors, John. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. For the terrible, sake of everyone recording, terrible. hearing this recording, I'm not on that boat. <laughs> so, but the, the idea if, if Jesus wanted legitimacy in his day and age, he would never have chosen to be first discovered by women. Because a woman couldn't even give testimony to her own rape back in those days. Yeah. Which is horrific and yeah. terrible. Terrible. Yeah. But also, if you pay attention to how subversive Jesus is, of course that would have yeah, been the I mean, first. That's his MO. It's like, oh, well, you know. It's like, <laughs> let's take the lowest respected and the least, I don't know. Oh, man. Of course he would have chosen. The least believable source. Yeah. I mean, you know, the only like, thing worse like would have been like... like you said, the Upside Down Kingdom. This yeah. is... His whole MO has always been the complete opposite of yeah. what everybody thinks. That's why, what would Jesus do? It's kind of a dumb question. Because you wouldn't know what he would do until after the fact. And then you're like, oh. Like, wait, are you sure? <laughs> get it. It's like, are you sure you want to be discovered by a woman? Because... And then you realize, oh my goodness. Yeah. What would Jesus do? Jesus lay has down, got very different values than we do. Uh, name and justice. Uh, what else would he do? Well, and you think Jesus would pay his taxes? Uh, yeah, he did. Because he didn't care about taxes. He's like, like, well, maybe he just didn't have any income. Chances are Mary Magdalene was his financial yeah, sustainer. That's true. He let his girlfriend do his taxes. <laughs> did not say that. <laughs> That's a, that's actually oh his financial sustainer. So that was his sugar mama. Yeah, is that what you're telling me? Uh huh. Huh. That he might have been preaching and teaching her in such a way that she had never preaching felt and teaching to her to her. Yeah, yeah. that she had never had that much <laughs> spiritual teaching in her life that it was so she was so grateful she couldn't not huh. because. In Jewish law, women were not allowed to talk about spiritual things. Mm. And it really was a later writing from a pope in like the 800s that said Mary Magdalene was John was the woman in John 8. That was caught in adultery. But John 8 yeah. never says her name. Yeah. That was like an unfair mm -hmm. correlation. So if, a from a historicity yeah. side... Mm -hmm. It would have taken as concrete of an event as the crucifixion to make the disciples turn and run around and change their lives mm -hmm. to go to the corners of the earth. But then the other question is the question that equally interests me. Because just like how Good Friday potentially has multiple atonement theories, mm -hmm. I also think there might be multiple layers of meaning to the resurrection. You think? Just maybe. Well, just maybe the act of God yeah. in, in humanity. Just maybe so, when, when all of creation changes its trajectory. <laughs> might be more than one layer of meaning there. That is true. That's a real John Madden theological statement. <laughs> yeah. You have to score more points than the other team. If you want to win. <laughs> what would you say are... I, I guess if you were to think about Easter... What are yeah. some of the most meaningful parts about it, aside from just potential historicity? 
I mean, I think... I've had moments in the past, like, couple weeks that where I think there's something like a lightning strike from God where, like, something makes sense or, like, you hear it with fresh ears. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And it's just, you know, in those moments, like, and it and it energizes you. Uh-huh. Like, you're either maybe in a worship service or, or just, you know, listening to music or there's at some point where you can just feel like God lays something on your heart in a real way that he didn't before. And I have this, like, I'm, I'm finding I have to hold back from this reflex of just wanting to scream. Like a, like really? a roar. <laughs> About what? I, just in, uh, I don't know if there's any specifics that come to mind at the moment. But, like, there's this idea where, where you see God working, whether it's in your life or otherwise. And, and it's like there's, there's, a, there's a roar that wants to come out that's kind of like Jesus emerging from the tomb. Right, because you you know wow. it's something God at work in your life, and you're like, "This is happening," <laughs> or you know, it, it's a guttural thing that oh, I don't actually do it. I don't know if people who know me would believe that, but <laughs> yeah, I can just you know, it's something that you can feel, you can feel in your spirit, and it's energizing. Or there's also there's times when I'm in worship services, and I and I feel that that energizing bit of life that I think connects with that meaning right so the idea that in the resurrection yeah there is the opportunity to respond to move to engage to affect the world around you right so we live in a world that um profits immensely off of off of different ways of oppression and and it profits off of us following a good system some of those systems are great rule of law don't kill people all those things right things um, it also profits on us numbing ourselves, right? So just looking for the next month around the corner. It's so, you know, opening day baseball season in the spring here. Like, oh, baseball season's here. Great. And then you wait, and then football season starts, and then great. And then it gets quiet, and you're like, oh, well, March Madness. I can hang in for that, right? There's the sports rhythm. Yeah. And by just going home and taking care of business and spending your money, the, the economic system runs and, and grows. Um, and if you go outside of that, it might not profit you. It might not benefit you in a worldly sense. Yeah. Um, but there comes a point when that can be stifling, right? And so that's where there's sort of space. That's where somewhat, we, I mean, we can probably reflect on the idea of Sabbath as a way to break that as a habit. But um, as those practices close in, and especially as sort of, you know, in a young adult space still, when those moments close in, and I feel like I don't have the ability to, like, feel as fully alive. I don't know if that's like a John Eldridge fully alive or, or something else. Uh-huh. I think the resurrection calls us to say, no, you can you can say no to those things and trust that that God is at play there and that God can bring new life. Oh. And that you can lay yourself out on the line. I like that. And trust that he will he'll be there to put to either to re-energize or this God's spirit will be present there. And so that's sort of where that roar comes from, I think. Mm-hmm. Or that those moments of energizing where it's like, let's do this. Like, let's get back to whatever we need to be doing. Or let's stop doing whatever we need to stop doing because we're just feeling obligated to do it. Stare the monsters in the face and tell them to go fly a kite. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So it's really not necessarily a rally cry, but it's, it's a... Does it reinforce potential for you then oh yeah so it 
it says the doors of, of what are capable are far larger than we think. Well, and they're beyond or, what you can even believe. Uh, it's like it's like beyond what is, yeah, what is sensible, <laughs> right? And it says, and there's in some ways, you know, you sort of say if if Jesus is Lord and Caesar isn't, or if you know Jesus is Lord and Mammon isn't, um, yeah, then you say consequences be darned. We're gonna follow Jesus. Mm. Let the chips fall where they may. Right. Um, and in some ways, the resurrection sort of says. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. So that kind of flows into probably my favorite reading, I guess, of the Easter story. So from like a numbers basis, this is going to be a setup question. All right. Whatever you give is going to be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) What day of the week numerically is Easter? Day one or day seven? Seven? Is it seven? Yeah, I told you. It's a setup. It's eight. Oh, yeah. It's the eighth day of the week. And so one of the things that's fascinating about at least John's gospel is that John's gospel, if you read it strict, it really only talks about 21 separate days that could have happened over a one or three year span. But in its ordering, the Easter morning is potentially the eighth day of the week, which is important because that's the start of a new creation happening. The old week is gone. This is the start of a new week. And so it even refers back to Genesis in its own unique way. Yeah. When it says Jesus is risen on the first or the eighth day, that there's an ongoing recreation of the world that's happening since the resurrection. Which is somewhat comes up in, uh, in Jewish Jewish spirituality with the the tukuna ulam, which means the ongoing reparation of the world. Uh, that we are in some ways co-repairers of the world with God. And the the reason I think I like that is because I I don't think I was raised with the idea that Christianity is supposed to be an escape from the world. Hmm. I mean, I went to college and I was surrounded yeah. by some other people that felt that way yeah. or believed that way. Yeah, we're, maybe we were raised that way. <laughs> but the idea that you are here and you have a task, but that your task is to help repair the world along with Jesus and along with God is a very different thing. And so for me, I think the most compelling hmm. uh evangelism an invitation yeah, yeah. to the faith yeah, yeah. Yeah. actually has very little to do with hell and and escaping the punishment of God and instead has its emphasis on everything is being fixed do you want to be a part of it yeah it's like oh my gosh like god, the god the creator of the universe inviting you into partnership Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it goes back to the idea that, like the Trinity has been broken open so that you can yeah, be a, a part that. of the Trinity that could now. Fit. So what does it mean to be in your human dignity raised with Christ so that maybe you are a little Christ in your own way, hmm. but that you are now a Messiah among people that's supposed to bring wholeness and reconciliation and forgiveness and beauty and goodness and 
truth and love and everything. It's all of a sudden like that makes those other passages make more sense when it says, as the father sent me, so I send you. Mm -hmm. And I feel as though Protestant evangelicalism doesn't know how to handle that verse because we like Jesus to be our Christ, but we very much don't want to participate in the mission of Christ. To be little yeah. Christs in our own communities and in our own ways. And in that sense, I, I yeah. know we're going real philosophical, but okay. I said this before. It's almost like all good theology is around about also ethics yeah. or anthropology. Yeah. That every time you talk about God and the story of God, it should lead you into understanding your life and your, what are you here to do? Mm-hmm that you're going to answer that question differently now that you've heard the story of God. Mm -hmm. So how does that sit with you? I mean, yeah, for me, I I like that, but the eighth day of creation, that's pretty cool. Oh, well, so, I mean, what about, uh, what about God speaking things into existence and, and humanity being the only, the only creature that has a voice to speak. (gasps) Right? No, you didn't know that. You knew that you had to have known that. Well, well, it's fascinating because, was it two weeks ago I did a teen anxiety night and I talked about the Hebrew word debar. Mm-hmm. Debar is the word for word. Debar is also the word for thing. Mm. So when you speak, at least yeah. in Jewish consciousness, you don't just speak words. You actually speak things ah. into being. And so when God speaks and creates the universe, yeah. it's a kind of a play on words because God, when God speaks, it's not just words. It, God yeah. speaks things. So... But your idea right there that humans are the only mammal capable of speech or articulation. Only part of creation that can speak words. Wow. And so in that way, we are created in God's image, right? So it's like that same idea Uh of having a voice of creating, you know, creating and being co-creators in a redempted world, Mm -hmm. being invited into that. Um, Yeah. No, I, I find that utterly winsome. I find that utterly winsome. Yeah. Um, just to to reflect on the idea that, you know, yeah, God doesn't God doesn't need us, but he invites us into that. Um, and wow. and I think, you know, the thing that that usually leads me to is what is the thing, like what does it feel like to be following the resurrected God then? Right? Like what are the things that are in your life that you're like I can I, can I do that? I can't do that, A. Or oh. what are the things I need to do, even though they scare the living daylights out of me? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I don't, you know, yeah. It's a question of whether do we, you know, do we push ourselves to those things? Do we have people around us who encourage those things? Because a lot of times those things are, are reckless. And sometimes they're, they're dumb and we shouldn't even do them. Sometimes we just have a bad, it's a bad idea. Right, like sometimes there's really good ideas, and sometimes there's really bad <laughs> ideas, and sometimes you know, yeah. I find that as I try and have ideas, I need to wait for a couple of an idea to come back once or twice or three times before I say, well, maybe this is God saying something, and then I have to talk to someone else who I trust and say, you know, God's sort of putting this in front of me. You know, what do you think about this idea? Um, and as you build consensus with people that you trust, yeah. Then yeah. you can say, "All right, I think I'm going to do this," uh, and something new and good can be created with that communal discernment and with that individual discernment. Um, 
Right, but it, the, that takes listening to that voice. Oh, yeah. And it's right. so much easier just to tune that out. It would be more work. It would be less messy. Um, but it would be so much less beautiful. Um, so one thing is fascinating. Are you ready? As I just looked it up. In Luke and John, Jesus' first words are a question after being resurrected. Ah. In Matthew, his first words are greetings, peace be with you. And in Mark's gospel, short and the long version, he doesn't have any words being what? recorded from like what was he just he just comes up in waves. And it says <laughs> that, like Jesus is risen and that, Does he do a does he do a guy nod? Where you're at just least like, I see you. At least in the short version of Mark, it finishes with Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And then Mark's long version actually does have him talking, but... And the long version is just the other couple of verses that are at the end of your Bible, right? Like, right. Like, there's a break. <laughs> but the said, idea that, that was. Mark finishes with them, with the people trembling and bewildered, and they led and they told no one. <laughs> He really knows how to finish a book. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mark. But at least it it seems very um, Jewish of Jesus that the very first thing that he would say when he's resurrected is is a question. question. Rabboni. (laughs) How is it actually pronounced in in Hebrew? Is it it Rabbanai? Like Adonai? It might be be Rabbanai. Rabbanai? Yeah. All right. Because Hagani would yeah. be Hebrew for yeah. have mercy on right. me. So all the people listening to this, if you went to church today and they read from, from John 20 and someone said Raboni. <laughs> yeah, it probably should be Rabbani. Yeah, I would think. Because it's not the guy who drives and cleans off the ice at the, at the ice rink. <laughs> so so Jesus No? All right. Yeah, Bye. I heard it. Yeah. But I yeah. wanted to ignore it. Oh, you love dad jokes. <laughs> I do. So his first question is, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Why are you crying? And then in Luke, the question was, what are you talking about as you're walking, they're walking to Emmaus? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, here's a, here is a figure who, even when he's resurrected in triumphant, like, amazement, <laughs> is still just like, hey, what are you guys up to? <laughs> hey, what are you crying about? There's like... There's no flashiness to this resurrection story. Like, you could say the transfiguration had more pomp and circumstance than this resurrection. Of course. What does that say about presence? Presence. I mean... That, like... So, I mean, you know, you you talk about being in healthy relationships with other human beings, and when people are experiencing whatever, just sometimes being present, not saying something, not entertaining them, not cracking a joke, not trying uh, to greet or do the small talk or the pleasantries, but just being present, returning your presence is actually the the gift. Yeah. And so in many ways, that kind of a response says his presence is the dramatic thing and his continued presence is the valuable thing. Hmm. Um, but it's not, it's not a, it's not a, you know, a, a, a banging drum. It's like Elijah. He's on the mountain, right? <clears throat> he's not in the oh. wind. He's not in the thunder. Uh-huh. Uh, but he's in that still small voice that says, hey, what are you crying about? <laughs> uh, 
I was actually just read that passage earlier today. You're so pious, John. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the funniest things is he's told to go up to Mount Horeb. Yeah. And while he's there, they're like, God says, go up there. I will speak to you. And then the storm's passing. He doesn't hear anything. And then the voice of God comes on a whisper. And you know what he says? What does he say? What are you doing here? <laughs> Is that what the voice says? Yeah. It's so funny. God says, go up to Mount Horeb. I'm going to speak to you there. And then when he says, it's like, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> but it's Okay. But all the Jewishness of these gospel narratives on Easter is always subversive. You Mm -hmm. would think that he would want a giant parade in front of Pilate, in front of all the crowds that yelled crucify him, to be like, oh. He wants a hype man. He wants, you know, he wants someone blowing, blaring blaring fire horns, being like, what? Yeah. Jesus is back. People swinging their terrible towels. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. I mean, we saw it in Philadelphia a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That, that's what you would think. But hold on. So coming back to this idea of, of God's presence being a still small voice, if we take seriously yeah. this idea of, of moving forward uh, and following you know, the Jesus of the resurrection into ways that are scary, crazy, that require communal discernment, they require communal discernment because, A, we need the presence of others. Right. The still small presence of others that you usually have to ask about, not something that's forced on you. But right. you also have to right. plead for God's presence. And so you would hear, like, it's not like God's going to be like, yeah, we're going to make sure everything comes, you know, the road comes up to meet you and everything goes perfect and smooth. But rather there, there is requiring that faith. Yeah. And that steady presence that, God, are you here? I think you're here. I think you're in this. I don't really know. Wow. But I think you're still in this. And you need to have the presence of others who say, no, that you should totally do that. I affirm that gift in you. Wow. I mean, not to mention the fact that this idea of speaking things, I mean, that's like the charismatics love that, right? Sure. They love that in their prayer in their prayer lives. And it's actually Speaking things useful. into being. Yeah. That sounds so speaking new words age. over. But the funny uh, thing is like that's age, also huh? so, yeah. It's interesting how... I had a conversation last week where a guy said he didn't like a recent movie that came out because it was so, quote, new age. But to me, I was thinking, like, I felt as though it was giving into the oldest archetypes known. Like, speaking oh, yeah. of light and darkness and good and evil, I'm like, aren't, aren't those things common to all of humanity? <laughs> like, that doesn't sound like that's a recent or new invention. No. Or even, okay, like listening to the, st- the still small voice that's happening inside of you yeah. that is going to lead you into a resurrection moment of your own capacity. That's another thing. Like, um, Side note, there could be resurrection winks around us all the time. Like some people like to say like God winks at you every so often. Yeah, those are the moments when I roar. When I want to scream. Yeah. When you're like, ah! <laughs> but there could be there could be moments throughout your day that maybe all of us, we're not tuned in to watch. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if there really is a tikkun ulam, the ongoing repairing of the world that started on the eighth day of creation or the resurrection day. We, we maybe just need to start finding ways to exercise or build that muscle 
of recognizing when the subversive rule of God is coming through in this thing over here or coming through in us even. I really like the idea of, it's also in Luke, that Jesus, the, the Pharisees come to Jesus asking, when will the kingdom come? And he doesn't answer the when. He says, no, 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 you're getting it wrong. You will never be able to say it's here or over there because the kingdom of God is within you. It's like on a completely other, they're asking the when question. And then he kind of answers the where question, but he's like, no, 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 it's actually within you. And so hmm. what does, so if we're talking about historicity yeah. and then trying to find the meaning of it, what does it mean to have the Christ resurrected in the depths of who you are? so that you become one of the co-repairers of the world. Hmm. And I don't necessarily like the lingo of asking Jesus into your heart, but I really, what I just said resonated with me of like, what does it mean to have the Christ resurrected in you? The, the, the God that you thought was dead and dormant and wasn't a part of your life you have now found bursting forth from inside of you and recognizing, like calling you forth into an action Mm. in the world. Hmm. To live in a posture of generativity. Generativity. You're generating, you're generating life. You're generating. Uh, But I think this is also one of my, my frustrations, I guess, with Protestantism. Oh, it's, Here comes the axe we, grinding. Yeah. <laughs> it took us 38 minutes to get to this minutes. point. When we only look at the resurrection from the angle of historicity, we maintain the posture of just being observers or people that give assent mm-hmm. to saying, yes, it happened. And then we're left off the hook from ever having to really engage the world or to say, so I was sent, now I send you. Hmm. What does it look, because if it's maintaining historicity and never gets around to the question of meaning, what does this mean for me today? Does it mean for me to say, I will speak truth to the religious and political authorities of my day knowing that death is not the end? Mm Mm-hmm. You see, then it becomes a revolutionary, then Easter becomes a revolutionary call, not just a historical event of which you say, yes, I believe it happened. Oh, yeah. Because then it becomes something that rather than a destination has become a launch pad for a whole lifetime of activity. Oh, yeah. Of tikkun alam, of Mm -hmm. being co-repairers of the world. And in the resurrection, that that was opened up. I mean, that was made available. That's kind of the point. Humanity was made available. Human, humanity was redeemed. We were invited into that generativity because the generativity is the this new life, the resurrected life. Oh, yes, the resurrected life. Exactly. So that new well of of abundant life. I think people use that word, right? That's mm. a thing. <laughs> yeah. Became apparent on the third day. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. 
It's crazy. So what, if we're going to try to close it off, yep. what would we say are some of the, the signifiers of living a resurrected life? What are some of the qualities of somebody who's living in the resurrection, not just observing the resurrection? Uh, I think one thing that, I mean, so one thing that I appreciate about certain people that I say, you know, that's that their lives look different. Like you can actually see that their lives are, are different, whether it's, uh. it's that, um, like I know people who, who don't work really fancy jobs, but hang out with fancy people. Uh. Right. And like yeah. they're content with that and that's cool for them. And they're happy with that because they know that their worth isn't, isn't tied up in their jobs or their status or what car they drive or how big their house is. Mm-hmm. Um, or even what friends they have. They're just happy to be around other people. Yeah. Um, I think that's one marker. I think the other marker is people who um, live with a purpose that says that God God pushed them a certain direction. Or even just ask the question of what's God calling me to. And that is the justification for them doing something. Mm. How many people? How many people do you really know who are like... Oh yeah, that's the thing that the the reason that I did that. Oh God, God told me to, or I felt like God was leading me to do that. Wow. I mean, you hear that sometimes, mm. but like on a day in day out basis, like I feel like God has called me to take this next step out of the you know out of this and into this. Mm. I mean, like it's simple, but right. People are like right. no, well you know this makes the most sense, and you know people ask me why I'm going to get married when I'm going to get married, and I'm like oh, I want to do it in 2018. They go why? What be like. I had to learn the hard way that this is how I have to phrase it. I have to say, I mean, because my, my <laughs> I have to say, well, we don't really have a good reason to wait around because we're both adults, so, you know, we don't have school or anything else, and okay. we'd really like to start our married life, right? My sometimes my first answer is because I really want a tax write off in 2018. <laughs> that being said, I'm ecstatic about the idea of being married, um, yeah, and being yeah. married to the girl that I'm marrying, the young lady that I'm marrying. Um, and because, and because I felt like God was in that decision too. Yeah. Um, it's because it was something that I pushed him on and I felt like he, he continued to return things that said, I'm here for you. Yeah, you have worries. Yeah, you have concerns. Yeah, you have doubts. Yeah. But I'm present and you can trust my presence. Mm-hmm. Everything changed at the resurrection, man. Everything changed. Everything everything it's like have you I mean, you've, you've probably experienced like real shock right like where it takes like three days for something Whoa. to sink in yep right so like not not the shock that you wake up in the morning and you're startled awake and you forget about it 20 seconds later it's like the shock that just takes a while to reverberate through your being yes at the resurrection that happened for all of creation <laughs> <laughs> right that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. I think when I think of the resurrected life, I, yeah, I think of people that live with courage. I think of people that, that not only generativity, they also have a sense of creativity. Mm. That the, the doors of what are possible for the world are much more open than other people. Mm-hmm. And I feel as though 
when you have a resurrected life, you have more hope for what's possible to change. Maybe you don't have all the resources to make change happen, but you, you know, like there's something in you and your bones that says, I know things can change. The narrative that we've always known doesn't always have to keep going. Right? Like usually people when they're crucified, they stay dead and they're like, Oh, the like the joke is death and taxes are the only two things that are certain. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, well, now just taxes. <laughs> uh, and I know what I'm going to say is going to sound new age. Oh, bunch of hippie nonsense. Here we go. <laughs> I I drove past a, a crucifix once on Easter Day. All right. Okay, so. Outside of a church, there was a cross. Yeah, they ha- that's where they show up sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> the congregation did one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. They covered the whole thing in flowers. So that all of a sudden, this vehicle of death and shame yeah. is covered in blossoming life. Yeah. And I feel as though a, f- a resurrected life is one that's blossoming. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what that necessarily means, but I couldn't get the, the picture out of, I couldn't get the, the image out of my head that this thing that we think was the worst thing possible ended up being the best thing possible mm-hmm. for all of mm-hmm. the cosmos. Mm-hmm. The cosmos. The cosmos. Yeah. Not yeah. just... Not just human history. Not, yeah. And not just like history. me personally. Yeah. Like I have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's like, <laughs> no, we all have a cosmic relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the scope of what redemption really was, was massive. Yep. But it's the resurrected life has always got to be about the blossoming of life. I guess that's what I want to get to. Yeah. Flourishing. Human flourishing. flourishing. Yeah, yeah, flowering, that's a, that's flourish. A popular word. That whatever is moving in the opposite direction, that whatever is not enabling human flourishing is actually not of the resurrected life. That it's actually the antithesis of God if you are participating in what inhibits others from flourishing. So yeah. whatever is enabling others to thrive more, to eat well, to have housing, to have better education. Like I said, like all theology comes around somewhat to ethics in the Mm -hmm. end. There's ethical implications. Yeah, there's ethical implications to the theology, (laughs) to the story of God as we understand it. But that all of those things are resurrection witnesses also is a very profound thing for me because it's a matter of saying that we will take whatever is the worst depths and hells of earth and and bring life out of it is a very profound thing to me like Mm -hmm. jesus went to the depths of hell Mm -hmm. and out of hell came a blossoming of life yeah that we, and that also like encourages a certain sense of hope. And it kind of goes back to what I said to you before. And dangerousness. Danger. Yeah, um, man, you're dangerous. Ain't no one's going to pin you down. You always have an out. Oh, man, yeah. 
right? I think that's the other side of the flourishing, right? Like, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, the flowers. But, like, just think about the fl- that even in the sense of the, the defiance. There is a defiance of it. Oh. The defiance of the resurrection. That's a good phrase. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? The defiance of the resurrection. Keep going. Yeah, I'm surprised there isn't, like, a Christian metalcore band called Defiance of the Resurrection. <laughs> right? No. But, like, seriously, though, there's so many domination systems in our world. There's so many systems that try and tell you that, A, you, you can't do this, so you need to do this. Right. This is, A is true. I'm going to tell you A is true, so now you need to do B. And, I, and I'm going to, you know, benefit from you doing B. Society will benefit from you doing B. Mm-hmm. Um Every freaking commercial is this, right? It's this idea that you're not pretty enough, you're not skinny enough, you're not cool enough, you don't have enough hair on your head, whatever, right? And so you should buy our product. The resurrection says, I'm not going to do what you want. (laughs) Yeah. Because I fear the Lord. Right. Because I'm a follower of the Jesus who was crucified and raised three days later. Huh. Because of the resurrection, no one, no one, no one ever has you pinned. Oh. That's kind of cool. That's revolution. Yeah. The resurrection revolution. It's, uh... What did N.T. Wright write about? Didn't he just write a book about this? Yeah, it's called The Day the Revolution Began. Yeah. Have you read it? I've read a third of it. And then I put it down. If you've read his earlier stuff, it's not it's necessarily kinda, anything new. Yeah. But he repackaged it for a gotcha. new group of people. Um, I think it came out is at it Easter the, time. Is it for the dumb people two like years me? <laughs> no, it's, it's quite good. Right. It's quite good. The only thing is he breathes and another book happens. Yeah. The guy writes like six books a year. <laughs> um, but yeah, we don't want to... How long are we going? Are we, are we taking this thing down? No, we should. We should probably wrap it up soon. Like right now? Should we wrap it up now? Well, wrap it up with a benediction. You're the pastor. Wow, that's a great idea. Why do you think you had me on here? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to make this up on the whim. I'll use a uh, first person plural. All right. I don't even know what that means. It's okay. Right. Go, go. <laughs> May we be a resurrection people. May we be individuals that find our life in God at the same time that we find God's life in us. May we always seek human flourishing and may we have the courage, the grit, and the gratitude to be called into the ongoing reparation of the world. May we not lose heart, but instead always anchor ourselves in the resurrection of the Christ. Let's get to work. Amen.